Hello. Ring, ring. Hello. It's your mother. It's me. (laughs) Hi, guys. Welcome to Almost 30 Podcast. I'm Krista. I'm Lindsay. How are we feeling? Let's take a deep breath. (sighs) Thank you for joining us. All right. That's our pod. <laughs> Honestly, that'd be like a dope pod. <laughs> the take a breath pod. On, when we were uh, in the running for, I think it was iHeart, mm-hmm. one of the ones that won was sleep oh, stories or yes. sleep sounds or something yes, like that. It was sleep stories. We were, I think we were best <laughs> spirituality that year. Sorry, we're just bragging a little bit. Um, <laughs> I think that year we were nominated for best podcast. It was and we were spirituality. Beat by, uh, and we were beat by sleep stories. Sleep stories. There's a guy that's just like, welcome to Northern Alaska. Where? And it was like that. The moose. I know. I'm like, dude, that's how fucked up our world is. They think that's spirituality. No, <laughs> that's, that's a true. That's true. But also just like how much people need like, to be calm. Oh, no. You know, it's so sad. Like people are like- It is crazy. What do I do? I'm so thankful that I, I really do sleep well. I do too. I'm really thankful. I sleep well. Because a lot of people do not sleep very well. I think my my friend, Jen, um, my really close friend, Jen, her mom was an insomniac and I literally never was able to have that process in my brain, how oh, hard that would be. I can't even imagine. Or when people wake up in the middle of the night and can't go back to bed. Oh my for, gosh. Like, that would drive me. My mom does that. It would- it would honestly make me mad, like mad, insane. A hundred percent. Yeah. The other day I was thinking about, it was earlier this week and we were just on, I was with um, Jenna Zoe with, she just got her wisdom teeth out. And so I was, I picked her up from the doctor and then took her back to her place. And I was like, just wanted to make sure she was okay. So I was working on the balcony of her hotel and I was like, just on, I was literally, we were on back-to-back calls all day. There was like not a a breath for calls. And she was like, wow, I'm just like so impressed with how much you do. But more so she was like, I just like write all day. I just do this stuff all day. And I was like, oh my gosh, how much of what I'm doing is because I'm scared of what happens if I don't do it versus how much am I doing is I'm excited about what's going to happen if I do do it. And I was like, damn, most of what I'm doing is because I'm scared of what happens if I don't, which is like, if I stop, you know, or if I say no, or if I, you know, I don't know. It was just like, wow, that's like my energy right now with stuff. Yeah, hundred percent. Or or that fear of like, if I'm not there to approve it or be a part of the conversation, will it? Maybe that, yes, that, but mine's Mm. more so like, if I'm not pushing, I'm not making progress. I see. You know, it's like if I'm not burning the candle at both ends with calls every day or whatever, then I'm then I'm not going to have then who are success you? or whatever. Yes, yeah. then who am I? But there is that part, the first part too, but less so, more so I have to push to to receive or whatever. Yes. I think I think we've gotten a little bit better. Yeah, for sure. But I know I know that feeling. Mine was always like let me make sure I am doing enough so I feel valuable. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> you know, of course. And then it's like, wait, I'm actually of more value when I am doing the things that light me up yes. and that, that really like inspire me about what we do. And not to say that we're not going to do the things that are sometimes annoying mm-hmm. and like time consuming and and all of that. But yeah, it's, I think leadership 
is taken to the next level when you can actually confidently create the space to do something like Jenna does, where it's like, I'm actually going to write all day and I'm going to trust my team to take care of this. And it's, you know, no reflection on any teams. It's just like, uh, I'm going to do that. 100%. And that's important to me. Yep. And I see the future vision of why doing this now will create something much bigger. Yes. Line. Yeah. And it was so hilarious because she got her wisdom teeth out. So I picked her up. And you know when you're kind of like when you are put under, you wake up and you're just like, you're out of it. But I don't know. I think everyone has a different experience. But she was having one of those experiences where she's like, I'm fine. Like, I feel totally fine. Oh, and cool. she, she was in the car. I was like, do you want anything? Like, do you want Air One or whatever? And she's like, yeah, I think I could go to Air One. And then I looked over. I was like, um, you have like blood all over your face. <laughs> I was like, you're not ready to go to Air One. Oh my God. Like, it was so funny. I was like, we're not going to Air One. She was like, I'm, go- I'm good. She was, it was like when Aww. you're on drugs still and you're like, I'm fine. Yes. And then it wears off and you're like, fuck, this hurts or whatever. Yeah. So funny. That, that's an intense surgery. Yeah. Actually. Wisdom teeth. I don't remember it. I remember getting it when I was in high school, maybe. Yeah, same. But I don't remember anything about it in particular. But I do remember, I think that was the first time I was put under. Uh, I've had so many teeth pulled in my life. It's actually ridiculous. Wow. Yeah. It was kind of traumatizing. I, my mom would take me on errands right afterwards. And like to that point of just like kind of sitting there and being like, oh, oh my God, no way. Yeah. It became such a common thing that she's like, I just need to go to the dry cleaner and like the grocery store. Totally. Oops. But yeah, that's a very expanding thing to witness. It was. It was rad. I was like, wow. You And she showed me all these, her book, her her next project, her things that she was working on. It was so many words put in one place. It was just like, what the heck? Wow. But you need that space to be able to channel that. Yeah, 100%. You can't be doing five different things in a day. It literally needs to be only that. It was so inspiring. I was like, oh my gosh. Damn. I know. I love it. I love it. Yeah, it's like, Jenna puts out good content too. And I was like, oh man, that's like so inspiring. But me and Lindsay were laughing at this video today. It was... Just, I thought of you guys. Oh, you, let's play it. Let's play it. It's let's freaking play. It's it. honestly our world in. I've a just story. been really doing the work, politically, spiritually, socially, doing the work, and it's hard. It's hard, but I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I'm doing the work. Um, and the work that I'm doing is, is just doing the work. The work is doing the work. Um, that's what I always say. And you have to be doing the work to, I mean, get the work done, be doing it, be doing that work. It's important. It's vital. You just have to be doing the work, which I am. And that's all I could really do is the work which I'm doing <laughs> the work. Yeah. I'm doing it, I'm doing it, the work. Okay, I'm just so funny. Dude. What's his account again? So it's JT Firstman. Uh, yeah. He's an actor, and the writer, was comedian. My impression of someone who's doing the work, which is so true. I mean, but so it's also true. true because, and obviously we're saying this, I'm someone that says that only like, I'm doing the work, but it's like, it's hard to describe. You know, because the work happens in tiny moments of like, of did you react or respond or were you hooked into that trigger or were you in the same story or were you, you know, and it is so nuanced for Mm -hmm. everyone. So it's so true on both 
ways of being like, yeah, that's really true, but also it is so nuanced. And I love something like this because it just reminds you to like fucking laugh. Totally. Because sometimes when we're like, we're doing the work, it can get very serious. Yeah. And almost like, okay, shut the fuck up for a second. Can we laugh? (laughs) Can we laugh? (laughs) I don't have therapy for a whole month because of travel. We have a workshop oh, and then travel. Oh, yeah, because you go in person. Yeah. Yep, yep. I'm going to revert back to my old ways. Uh-oh. I'm going to act <laughs> just like <kidding>. therapy never <laughs> happened and revert back to my old ways. Yeah, I said, when when uh, my, my first therapist moved, we started doing FaceTime and I was like, oh, man, it's not the same. But with my new therapist, we only do Zoom. Mm-hmm. It's actually totally fine. Really? I think I'm used to it with Zoom now. Really? And she's just... Re- I really like her and it's... We have a good connection in that way, so it doesn't... Um, I don't know. I'm still going there. Mm-hmm. It's good. Yeah. Anyway. Maybe I should do Zoom. Yeah. Just try and see. Yeah. Never know. Or maybe every two weeks. Yeah. Just for a little, you know. You say you think I need therapy? <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, you, you should. You should. Yeah, you're scared. You're like, <laughs> what's going to happen? <laughs> Whatever, dude. Oh, holy this hell. One is, this episode, I had so much fun recording oh, this one. Oh, man. With we Wade. had a silly goose time. We had, we had a, a deep sil- time. Yes. We went to other planets. It was it was we, great. We talked a lot about Wade's, um, this episode's with Wade Lightheart. Um, and we talked a lot about uh, his near-death experience actually yes. and his path to spirituality. And it was just really interesting to talk about the similarities and synchronicities between the near-death experiences of many people and what they see when they have that experience of dying and coming back. And so that was just like, that was such a cool part of the conversation. Fascinating. And just going deep on like his spiritual journey was so fascinating. He was a three-time all-natural national bodybuilding champion. And so when I think about like a bodybuilding champion, I'm like, do you have a spiritual practice? I'm being like kind of, you know, generic and, Mm -hmm. and whatever. And he has such a deep practice and it has evolved over the years. And that was so so fascinating. We also just talked, we touched on like toxicity in Mm -hmm. our natural world, in our living, in our environments, what we're eating. And it was just like a, a good reminder on some things that I hadn't, I hadn't thought about in a while. He kind of reminds me of like a Darren Olean in that Mm -hmm. way. Like just kind of this experienced, has traveled the world, has like truly done his research, has met with some, you know, some of the world's like top, would you say like biohackers, environmentalists, Mm -hmm. and nutritionists, things like that. So it's just a wealth of information. Yeah. I also really enjoyed talking about metabolic syndrome. Mm. So we talked about what a lot of um, women in bodybuilding have, and also just people in general, women in general, especially have metabolic syndrome. So like insulin resistance or just a bunch of different things. But I feel like understanding metabolism more was fascinating. So I really loved that part of our conversation. And when we moved from more of the spirituality to more of like the health, learning about that, learning about magnesium, like why magnesium is such an important nutrient and what it does for us too. Yes. And we know Wade because um, we are partners with Biooptimizers and he is the co-founder of Biooptimizers. So you can visit bioptimizers.com. Obviously use our code almost 30, but uh, they have our favorite magnesium. Yes. We cannot live without it. I cannot. It's it's <laughs> worth it. It's more expensive than other magnesiums you would find on Amazon or something like that, but it's actually really worth it because the po- 
the parts of, or the types of magnesium it has are basically every type of magnesium, whereas ones that you would buy on Amazon would just have one of the types. And they really work synergistically really nicely. And I felt like before when I would take other magnesiums, I would like shit my brains out. I know. And then these have been perfect. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like so perfect. helpful for stress for this year. It's been amazing. And then the enzymes, I take the enzymes yeah. as well when I need or when I feel like my food isn't digesting as best as it could. So I love the enzymes. I love the um the gluten guardian. So mm-hmm. I'll take it before I know I'm about to like house some pasta or mm-hmm. a lot of bread just so it's e- more easily digestible. But we love them. We trust them. You can go to biooptimizers.com, use the code almost 30. But thank you so much, Wade. We had such a blast. This interview is also on YouTube. It's video version. So you get our faces if that interests you. Um, you can learn more about Wade at wadelightheart.net. And we appreciate you all. Thank you so much for sharing the show, for supporting throughout the years. If you're an OG, we know who you are. I'm sure we've talked. Mm-hmm. Um, you can we follow us you. on Instagram as well, Almost 30 Podcast. We hope to inspire you there, make you laugh, just make you feel less alone and support you in your evolution. Visit our shop, shopalmost30.com as well for tons of resources, workshops, downloadables, and more. Yeah. We love you guys. Thank you for joining. Thank you for sharing with friends. It means the most. It's how we've grown. And welcome to the community if you're new. So glad to have you. So glad. See you soon. See you soon. I'm so excited <laughs> to have you. I um I wanted to talk about something first that we were talking about before which is you mentioned that it's a non-negotiable to have a, for someone in your life to have a spiritual practice mm-hmm. that like your spiritual practice is the most important thing to you. And what does a spiritual practice mean to you specifically? Well, I think there's three aspects of of life I think of how we experience life. There's the physical aspects which most of us are quite familiar. There's our mental aspects, which is the thoughts that we might be having. And some people would argue there is an emotional body as well, uh, depending if you want to call that psychological or not. But the spiritual aspect is a level of awareness, I think, that we all aspire to be at. And what I mean by that is, if I'm to cut off your arm, Mm -hmm. or you were to cut off your arm, are you still you? Of course you are. Mm-hmm. If I cut off the other arm, are you still you? Mm-hmm. If I cut off your legs, are you still you? Yeah, you're still you. So that means you're not your body. Mm-hmm. Now, we can all sit there and say, you might be even sitting in this moment, we're having a conversation, but you're having thoughts about that conversation or events. So you're witnessing your own thoughts. So obviously you're not your thoughts. Okay, you might be witnessing your emotions. Okay, I'm not my emotions. So if I'm not my body and I'm not my thoughts and I'm not my emotions, well, who who is this? Where's the ghost and the machine that's observing all that? You know, to me, that is the connection between what connects everything and everything. I would call that universe, presence, consciousness, God, however you want to, well, however you want to comfortably identify that in your mm-hmm. own life. So for me, a spiritual practice practice as a non-negotiable, is developing some form of practice which takes you into that place where you're able to observe your, your thoughts, your emotions, and your feelings. Because at that point, you can not disassociate but and, and not be detached, which is kind of cold, but you can be non-attached to those 
idiosyncrasies that we all have. And therefore, you can add a richness and context to the relationships, friendships, and uh, if you're into a, an emotional connection with someone as a long-term partner or whatever, then now you have a context from which you can engage in the content of that relationship. And by being able to do that, I think it provides a deeper insight um, into oneself. Um, and I think it makes it easier to have difficult conversations. The quality of your life, I've learned, has is directly proportionate to the amount of difficult conversations that you are going to have with the people in your environment in a way that isn't a make wrong. It's about an expressing each other and recognizing they have needs, I have needs, they have experiences, I have experiences, they have thoughts, I have thoughts. And let's get into a conversation where you can kind of gel between them and see, is this supportive for us on all of these different levels? And if you fail to have those conversations in your life, what happens? They're going to come up eventually for some, mm. you know, tragic or unforeseen event that might occur. And if you're not on the same page there, oftentimes this is where people kind of disassociate and get into the blame game or get into you this and you that, as opposed to seeking understanding and a unification as, hey, we're just two, you know, protoplasmic beings trying to make our way on this little blue dot at some inconsistent, <laughs> you know, weird place in the universe, right? Was there a, a life event that inspired you to explore your spiritual practice? Oh, yes, absolutely. So, in 20, when I was 22 years old, I um, had a near-death experience. And, the NDE, uh, the good old NDE. You, yeah, you know, if you, and that event transformed, a, you know, a little rural Canadian trying to find his way through college and lift dumbbells in weird ways into a context that made the world look rather small and insignificant. I was able to uh, have the life review, got to meet God. It's wow. awesome. So wait, what? can you tell me Tell me what happened? So what was the accident that-, that Yeah, no. So I had an overdose of, oh, uh, 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 of LSD, which was cut wow. with strychnine. Uh, What's strychnine? Strychnine is a rat poison, which is often used to cut those type of things. And so, oh. and when you're dealing with blotter paper at the time and it can go one way or the direction and I just got a bad batch or whatever. And um, so I went through the death experience and met God and got to experience a variety of lifetimes and uh, went to hell and saw what that was all about. And believe me, you don't want to go there. And then I would come back through these different lifetimes. I had no background in reincarnation. I didn't have a spiritual practice. I had kind of abandoned formalized religion because I was like, okay, Jesus loves me. But then I, if I don't worship him, I burn in hell. Yeah. Somebody's not telling mm -hmm. me the truth. I loved it as Sunday school. I didn't like it in the regular part. So what happens, I think people throw the baby out with the bathwater in that situation. So I was kind of agnostic about what was that going to be. And then that after that experience, I was like, oh, this is what all these kind of weirdo mystics are talking about. And I began to engage in a variety of different practices. And I, I sometimes joke with my friends that I feel like I'm a spiritual billionaire trust fund baby. And that since that time, I've had an array of really far out, quote unquote, spiritual events that have really enriched my life, but I don't really know how I earned them because I know people that have been meditating for 40 years and haven't had anything even close to some of the experiences I had. And I'm like, 
it just happened to me. I don't know what to do with it. So I, I like to see it as you, you want to steward that forward for people who might be struggling with their own spiritual context in, in a world that's very surface level. To yeah, them. devoid of it. Mm-hmm. So for, for meeting God, so a lot of people say with the NDEs, like a consistent theme, I watched a documentary on NDEs, I think a month ago, is seeing the tunnel, seeing like the light tunnel and then going to meet source or meet God. What was that like? Like, did you have a conversation was it a, was question. it a man? Was it a woman? Was it uh, Beyonce? <laughs> <laughs> it was all of the above. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't experience the tunnel effect thing. I did. I did have a an extensive bright life coming from a, a long distance, and I and at first, and I felt myself in a complete blackness. And in the blackness, I was standing in the blackness, but there didn't seem to be any floors, walls, or whatever. And in my experience. The, out, the light came through the outline of a door. Mm. And then the door swung open and was this extraordinarily brilliant light, but not a blinding light, not a light that took you out, not a light that did anything like that. It was, it was if I go back to that moment in this moment right now, it's, it's this infinitely powerful loving presence of such incredible magnitude that it obliterates any aspect of yourself and it's it's for eternity it's all it is it is you get it as the sat chit ananda mm. and when i go there in my mind into that memory it, it it the mind becomes silent there's there's nothing to say there's nothing to do in the infinite presence and then <laughs> Here's the interesting part though. Then comes the life review because in that infinite presence of non-judgment ener- judgmental energy one judges oneself. So as the life review came up I experienced everything that I did to anybody else. I felt what they felt. I felt the experience. Mm. And in that presence, there was a sense of self-loathing because I realized I had really not got my life in order at that point. I was really yeah, you were young. I was really you well, take it, you're taking rat poison LSD, so I'm you probably working. had some stuff to do. I'm still working on it. Yeah, you know, it's a, like, it, it, and but I've been able to operate from that position that I don't have to operate on faith. I'm operating on an experiential reality. And that's where mm. I said, I, I gives me a distinct advantage over so many people who have to operate on faith. And so and then I, and then I was, I would go to this realm of hell and I would experience. Did you talk to uh, like Satan? No, no. So I would say hell is more like a conscious realm where all the most heinous things that you could possibly imagine mm. are kind of like, smashing through your confidence consciousness in a rapid way and it, and it almost feels like a burning sensation wow. in your brain and then i would be transported to another lifetime and then i go back and then there is kind of these strange symbols when i'd go to hell and this hierarchy of lifetimes and things it was a very far out space uh i was also taken to a, another realm where where all the people who commit suicide kind of end up in it was a very interesting strange place in fact a friend of mine she she showed me this video she showed me this video the other day she was talking about something and she never gave me anything she was what do you think of it? And the video came up and i was like 
oh, that's the place where all the people who commit suicide go. And she goes, oh my God, that's what this video is about. Wow. It was like a kind of a yeah. pseudo spiritual movie or something. And it, I instantly recognized it. So how the people that produced that Whoa. knew, I, I don't know. But as soon as I went there, I, I saw that connection. I was yeah. like, oh, oh, wow. Like, yeah, they say a lot of times with with people that commit suicide in like law of one, they talk about it. It's like that soul has to go to a specific plane for healing. Yes. You know, it needs to be in a specific place for deep healing and then deep cellular, like almost like quantum regeneration to figure out the next best path because it's sort of gone off track to what was supposedly planned in the quantum field. Yeah. And it's interesting with... um the near-death experience too is this is something that I've heard before is that when you go to the review, it's your consciousness that is doing the review and that when people aren't dedicated to a spiritual practice or loving awareness or self-compassion that they get confused and they will choose to come back to earth or come back to this lifetime or come back to this, a similar parallel experience because they're judging themselves like without compassion and love. And when you're coming with full consciousness and compassion and love, you're able to say like, okay, I'm choosing to continue to go to the light. I'm going to the next level, the next dimension, the next parallel reality. And you can choose consciously to move on rather than keep coming back. Because if someone came without loving awareness or consciousness of themselves, they would come and they would say, oh my God, I've been a bad mom. I've, you know, I haven't been doing X, Y, and Z. I haven't been doing this. And then the soul is choosing to come back to this existence. So I was thinking this whole, in this lifetime, I'm like, I'm not coming back to earth. That's a decision I've made, you know, this year among other decisions spiritually. And so I've been aware and consciously of like the things that you're going to have to do to not come back to the earthly plane. Isn't that interesting? I think it's really cool. Yeah, that's interesting about mm -hmm. the whole, I mean, so how did you come? Okay, so when you're coming back to earth and after you've gone to heaven and hell, how do you like live in the middle of Canada? Like, how did you? Oh, it didn't work out at all. Yeah, how, how do you? So I literally, this was just before my finals of a month or two, I think a month or so before my final examinations in university. I promptly walked out of all my classes and left because I was just like, this is child's play. The other thing was, is I, for a few weeks, I, I had this kind of like, I felt like a piano was going to fall under on me or something. Because what I felt was there was all these parallel universes. Mm. And in that timeline, that was the end of my life. But somehow I was able to jump my consciousness to another kind of paradigm experience and was continuing on. So it's like I got this. Yeah. Like all possibilities exist simultaneously. And we're actually it just experiencing life through a, a series of choices. We're identifying with this thing because you're all of the choices and simultaneously, but what we're experiencing. And then that's what I like to call the non-linear experience that tends to happen when one dedicates one's life to a, a, a spiritual pursuit. You end up in these situations that don't make any sense. And so when people talk about the secret or these ideas of the law of attraction, I believe it actually, the, the precursor to that is the law of intention. What you put out as an intentional field sets up where you could potentially lend rather than not. And so the law of attraction is actually the result of the intention not vice versa. It's not just sit here and meditate. It's like, what is the value that I want to do? What is the mission that I'm on? How am I going to in, uh, you know, in, enrich my life and the life of everyone else? Takes you down one of those other consciousness realms. And sometimes, as we all know, 
your life changes in a second. Car accident, you walk down the same street and run into your life partner, right? You know, like there's all, all, all kinds of little things that don't fit the logical paradigm, which we kind of have conditioned ourselves in the West, and that the outrageous and unusual and unexpected, and if you look at your own life, probably, those are all the magic moments of the life that we cherish the most, which don't necessarily fall inside of the predictable paradigm that we're so addicted to in kind of the, the Newtonian paradigm of science here in the West that's been going on for the last 400 years. So you you left school. Yeah. And were your parents pissed? <laughs> yeah, your what dad was the reaction? <laughs> and, and did you like... Because I can imagine over the years, like just having that experience, I'm sure like the the more human part of you kind of reverts back. Or did you feel like you were on that higher level of consciousness and able to make decisions from there? Well, you know, there was a struggle of the integration of that for a few months and I tried to figure out what was going on. And then by the fall of that year, so it was about a six month period, I just said, you know, I, you know, I can remember I was back at the same university town and I was working in a furniture job that I didn't really like it was a lot of work and I wasn't able to train the way I wanted to. I was with my girlfriend at the time who had were kind of like the high school sweethearts that had kind of been through that situation. And I woke up one morning, I looked out of my bed and the way my apartment was, I could kind of look down the hallway in the living room and look out and the other thing. And then this tunnel kind of emerged and I just saw my life going down this direction. I'm like, I'm everything that I said I wasn't going to be. And I need to change it. And I'd read a book called Think and Grow Rich. And I realized there was a guy by the name of Barnes. He was a, a railroad bum that went mm-hmm. to work with Edison. And it, you know, it was kind of the burn the bridges chapter. And he went in and he met Edison. And then five years later, he ended up uh, developing a business relationship with him. And concordantly, I had a friend who ended up being the, we were kind of like the Mutt and Jeff of school. And this all, this, I'll bring this all around. He, was, he ended up being the head physicist at the Gottlieb Space Center for NASA, super genius guy. And we used to have all these kind of conversations and we had read this book together and done all these kind of wild experiments together and stuff. And um, he was actually witnessing the near-death experience. And we were doing experiments in consciousness with variety of substances we would try and then one of us would record the other's experiences and things like that. So it was really interesting. Uh, he didn't do very well on, the, on, 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 as I say. Rat poison. Well, just so wait, that chemicals. was a part of an experiment. Correct. Wow. Oh, wow. Yeah, we were doing, we were doing consciousness experiments back then. <laughs> Dude, what? I love that. Yeah. I'm like, you weren't just at a party? I love yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did another, yeah, we, no, no, no. We were doing He's like, so try this rat poison one. Yeah. I think it's well, gonna. Well, we didn't like, know it was rat poison. Of course. That was, okay, that was, <laughs> that was a bad batch. Th- these these weren't uh, <laughs> double blind ethical studies that were put into place. <laughs> they were just like, hey man, let's try this out and let's. In let's, Ohio, let's, it was wow. like, can we do uh, forty ounces of beer in forty minutes? <laughs> well, I did those ones too yes. earlier. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but then you graduated to these. Yeah, yeah. So I've never stopped experimenting mm-hmm. in something Matt and I both did. We're, we're, we're radical experiences because we believe N of one is all that really matters is what works for you and however that works and long as it's not damaging to other people I mean go go have at it so uh, now I lo- totally lost my train of thought but we'll we'll come back to it so we had a, we had 
constructed these experiments and thought experiments, what I encourage everybody to do. And I said to him, I think I can, I think I need to go follow my dreams. And my dream was to go be a, a bodybuilding champion. And I felt I wasn't doing that. And so I said, I need to go to Gold's Gym, Venice Beach, California. I'd never been on a plane in my life. So I sold everything I had. Uh, it took me 10 days to get rid of everything and have a plane. And I had some other people that were going to go with me. They bowed out two days before. And they all expected me to do as well. And I said, no, I'm going to keep going. And he was going to originally leave. And I said, dude, you can't leave university. You're a genius. Tell the dean that you're unhappy and bored at school and they'll figure something out. And they put him in the NASA program at the time. And I got on a plane and went to Vancouver and took a bus across the border and then took a train from Seattle here to Los Angeles and got dropped off in South Central LA at the train station and got out and spent my first night in Hollywood and got a little bus out to the hostel here in Venice and uh, you know met Joe Gold and went through a whole process and began my career in the fitness industry. Wow. The gold gym. Do you I still mean, go there? I, I, or did well, you? I did. Well, it's closed now. So it's my dream to be a fly on the Justin, wall. Justin, my gold fiance gym. used to go there because we lived right, right across the street. He said it was unreal. He's like, it is unreal. People like bring my suitcases there. there. It's like they check in at nine, they leave at 5 p.m. They are like, wow. It's like, you'll see the craziest things. Oh, absolutely. It is. It, I love kind of a little bit of a circus in my life. Yeah. I, it's, I, it's, a, it's a circus. It is, and it totally is. <laughs> and like, it's totally is. And it's cut, the cut best. Cut two clips from yes. Gold's Gym. Yes. It's the best gym in the world to train at. I, I, that's what I've the, heard. Like the vibe in there. And that's I what do I've believe heard. just like a spiritual center or a business center, I do believe there's a biophotonic energy that builds up in a space. Mm. And what you want to mm-hmm. cultivate either consciously or unconsciously. And there's just so many great ath- bodybuilders and athletes of every different discipline. You can walk in there on any day of the week and there's probably 20 or 30 just absolutely outrageous physiques of all different sizes mm-hmm. and shapes and whatever. But there, there's a power lifter and there's a, you know, a world champion Olympic javelin female thrower that's like six foot two. And then there's like, you know, some... Yes. person who's a boxing champion at yes. five foot two and 125 pounds. And then there's like then wide there's like receivers. And then there's twins bo- with like really long beards. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. And then there's like these giant men and All of them are like gi- Instagram models. Jack like, beyond mobility. Yeah. They're going over and they're like bench pressing 275 wow. pounds. Some woman beside you like, oh, uh, wow. <laughs> you know, it's, it's great. unreal. And so I love things that push the boundaries and limits of what we think possible. And that place is as 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 far out as it gets in the world of uh, physique That's training. Hilarious. What, what I want to talk about the biophotonic field. Yeah. Can you explain what that is? Yeah, so a biophotonic field and I am not a theoretical physics physicist physicist, but I do believe there are energy signatures that go with our physical presence. And for example, we all know the difference between being here in person or being on a Zoom call. There is an exchange of energy and an exchange of electronic fields that happens when you are in the presence of other people or in the presence of a given place. And the biophotonic field would be the resonant signature of everything that's gone on in a particular place or with a particular person throughout life. And so when it comes to a sacred space, 
you go to any of the great cathedrals in Europe or some of the great temples in India, as I have, or throughout Southeast Asia and stuff, you go there, you feel a significant energetic vibe. Simultaneously, if you go to a prison, yeah, there's a vibe in there mm-hmm. that you can really feel. If you go to a courtroom, there is a distinct vibe that happens. If you go to Gold's Gym. And so there's, a, I believe that there is a residual signature of everybody who has ever been to that particular place combined with the experiences, the emotions, the energy, the thoughts within that cycle. And that's why I do believe that cultivating sacred spaces in your life is very important. You know, your bedroom for intimacy, your office for business, your meditation center for your center, your dining room table for where you eat, your living room. And as you consciously create these things, it's it builds up a flow and a vibe and there's a biophotonic signature that happens. And I do believe that there's certain places where you kind of, you probably been there and you're like, oh my God, I feel like I've been here before, or this just feels so right, or this feels so wrong. Yeah. And maybe that's a past life signature. Maybe it's some other emotional experience that you've had, or maybe you're picking up on the vibe that's happened there. And I do believe that people who have extraordinary gifts outside the five senses are people who are just more tuned into the awareness of those biophotonic energies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's my version. Yeah, of I love it. that. And what is it about Gold's Gym that you think really helped you to be successful in the bodybuilding world? Gold's Gym had almost nothing to do with my success as far Tell as a physical about place. What did. Yeah. It was an inspirational place, kind of like Peter Pan trying to get to Never Never Land, where I came from in the middle of the woods in Canada to get to Gold's Gym, California was like, yeah, huge. Mm-hmm. that was so far out of an idea. Wow. And that, like nobody ever got there. It's like Hollywood for most of the world or professional sports. Like if you want to play for your particular sports team or you want to be a, a ballerina at the, the Bolshoi and, you know, St. Petersburg or something, you know what I mean? Or you want to be a, a singer in La Scala or whatever it happens to be. There's an energetic signature of this one far off place in the world. And of course, I grew up when there wasn't the internet, when you didn't have YouTube and you, didn't have, you couldn't just go there in that your mind is easy. So you build up an energy. And so for me, it was an inspirational place. And why they call it the Mecca is very much like what's practiced in the religion of Islam, where you need to go to Mecca at some point in your life. It is a spiritual experience. And Gold's Gym became the mecca of bodybuilding, largely in part because of the original Gold's Gym and Joe Gold and the small group of bodybuilders in the 70s, which got you know, put to the public with the movie Pumping Iron, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger and all those guys, which actually caused the proliferation of the entire fitness industry. And Joe Weider says at that time, he had 500,000 subscribers built over 30 or 40 years of business. And when Arnold left that, he had over seven and a half million subscribers, largely important to pumping iron and, 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 and how that went out into the world. And now is a, is a, is a, is a cult classic, if you will. And from that, everybody's wanted to go to gold's gym ever since. Now that was the original gold's gym. And of course it's the new gold's gym. Um, but you know, that's semantics now. Wow. 
during when you were bodybuilding, you know, I was thinking about this and we were talking about this before. When you're bodybuilding a lot of times, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but you're putting your body through a lot of stress with the training and then the strict eating and the diet. Did you feel like there was any metabolic damage? And do you see that happening with folks where there is metabolic damage, where they're cutting weight too quickly or they're doing it in an unhealthy way? All of the above. Um, and it's particularly impactful for women who are engaged in, I would say, for the most part, there's only a small fraction of women who can kind of get to the body fat levels that are required by a group of judges in a fitness or bodybuilding competition. What would that be? Like 15 or no, like 10? It would be under 20. I don't know what the exact number, yeah. but it'd be under 20%. So it's just off the table for 80%. Now, what's compounded by that is that they're getting to those levels at a biological age where the universe is genetically engineered them to be having babies and you require a higher body fat level to, for hormonal support. And what I've seen is so many women who are under so much externalized pressure to look a certain way because of every magazine and selling carpets or car to cars to booze or whatever is got a beautiful woman. Nobody wants to see the beautiful guy. Starting to change a little bit now in the last 10 or 15 years, guys have now become more sex objects. You know, uh, it's, it's, it's a trending, but it's the pressure for women, I think, is disproportionate. And what happens when they get into those, those body fat levels by rigid eating, rigid diet programs, often which are designed by people who have no business or no understanding of the, the unique metabolic components and hormonal requirements that a woman might be engaged in? And guess what? They get done that contest or they get done two or three contests and all of a sudden they put on 30, 40, 50 pounds in a very short period of time. And there's nothing they can do. And then they become, quote unquote, what I like to call the cardio queens. You see them on there and they're in there in the morning at the gym and you come back in the night and they're still on there at night. They're doing two, three, four or five hours. They're, they're going even more restrictive eating. Oftentimes, then they start to re resort to a ver an array of metabolic drugs that compound the position. They may have had some predispositions uh, that they didn't weren't aware of genetically or epigenetically and they get themselves into real trouble. And I always suggest people to go read uh, Scott Abel's work on metabolic damage, and but I think it's called uh, Behind the Mirror uh, or The Other Side of the Mirror, uh, where he did an expose on the fitness industry about uh, 15 years ago. He was one of the best bodybuilding and fitness coaches in the world and saw firsthand all of the underlying damage and was one of the first people to coin the term as well as address the term of what you do if you're in that situation. And how do you get out of it? And so Scott was my, my coach in bodybuilding. He's a, he's, I mean, he's a bit of a hard ass, but he's an absolute genius mm. and he knows what he's talking about and he can get the job done. So uh, for people who are in that, I would highly recommend has, checking him out. One of his books is Understanding Metabolism. Correct. Why that, able. why that sudden weight gain? Um, like I, I kind of logically, I'm like, okay, your body's like dying to get some more weight on, but especially for women. So at what point it's, it's after a few competitions and they all of a sudden gain 30 to 50 pounds. What is happening anatomically and like physically in their body to put on that weight and why will the body not take it off? Well, there's a variety of factors that could be influencing that. One is uh, the restriction of 
eating for an extended period of time put them in their body into a reactive famine-based program. You have to realize that mm. the adding of body fat historically until the last 50 or 60 years has been a successful survival mechanism since food shortages is, has been one of the number one killers of humans throughout history in all species and this lack of food. And so once you activate that, as soon as you do get access to food again, well, your body is like trying to store as much of that and, and hormonally, and you can get into the discussion about leptin and ghrelin and, ghrelin, yeah. you know, as it, as it increases over time, ghrelin particularly increases over time, the more you restrict yourself. And so it's very, very common for that to happen. The other thing is, is oftentimes uh, under the pressure to lurk a certain way, women will resort to metabolic drugs, thyroid medications, Beta 2 adrenalis like Comblerol, various types of steroids and both anabolic and, you know, someone well-meaning person tells them, oh, it's not that bad. It's this uh, excessive use of uh, nervous system stimulants, uh, including caffeine, other smart type drugs, things that will suppress appetite mm. and even going as far as to using testosterone and GH in order to get themselves into this condition because they're so determined to quote unquote, get discovered and hit that sense of acknowledgement that maybe they didn't get as a child. Mm. I've noticed that a lot of celebrities and more people are taking thyroid medication. Like even in the, I don't even want to say the name, but I've noticed that that's a trend that's happening. That like that by taking thyroid medication, I think it kicks one of your thyroid hormones into overdrive. And then- I don't know if you're eating less or I don't know what it is, but I've noticed that trend happening. So people were people do that. Well, it's very common. And I just had uh, L. Russ on my podcast uh, mm -hmm. last week and she's got the Paleo Thyroid Solution, I believe is her book. And she outlines in incredible detail the relationship between T3, T4, traditional forms of what's being prescribed by endocrinologists and Unfortunately, most, most of them are prescribing T4, not T3, and, and there need to be in, in a balanced ratio. And she goes into all the details of it. There's also aspects of when you talk to thyroid, which is a metabol, it's a master mm -hmm. control uh, gland and its relationship to metabolism. Keep in mind, it requires iodine in order to function properly, which is deficient in a lot of people's diets. And guess what? Uh, on the chemistry table, we have halogen group uh, chemicals, or I guess the, the halogen group, you've got fluoride and you've got chlorine, and which are present in a lot of the water sources and become readily absorbable by the body and also impact the conversion or the functioning. So you get pituitary stimulation that stimulates the gland. And so oftentimes the pituitary is sending the messages and the gland isn't able to respond. Oh. So it keeps coming it up and it throws off your DEHA uh, So if you have the calcification and, of your pituitary gland. Yep from fluoride, then yep. it's also harming your thyroid. Yeah. And there was a guy by the name of Dr. Tennant in his book, uh, Healing is Voltage. He has a chart in there where he shows a map of the United States and the states that use fluoride, fluoride and fluoride particular. And uh, the rate of obesity is significantly higher in all those states and related to uh, dysfunctional thyroids. Wow. Um, and, and also mm. what's interesting is that if you go back in history at the turn of the century in 1900, 
uh, when they are in the early 1900s, when they recognized a lot of people were getting goiter because of lack of iodine in the soil here, what happened is they uh, turned out they added iodine. That's where they came up with iodized salt to put that in. Yeah. Now, here's the remarkable component I think is shock. The average IQ of people who started taking iodized salt over the general population went up 15 points. Think about that for a minute. 15 points. So if your metabolism is disrupted through an unbalanced thyroid, it literally is affecting your mm. natural, your accessibility to IQ that you have. Again, you can't have conversations in a lot of place about IQ because what do we do with a, a distribution of IQ? I, IQ is like height. There's tall people, there's short people, and there's everybody in between, and there's a there's a range, and we don't know really how to have a conversation. That's why they keep changing the names and the languaging around it every 10 years or so, because it's an uncomfortable topic for people to, to, to engage in. Again, going back to, hey, how do we have uncomfortable confer- conversations? Mm. Yeah. About people's low IQ. For, <laughs> for people that are, um, people that, are not bodybuilders can also have metabolic damage, correct? Oh yeah. So what would how would someone know if they have metabolic damage potentially? Well, the the inability to lose body fat when engaged in a well-planned diet and exercise program. That would be what I would identify with. And so what is Next question, of course, is going to be, well, what is a well-thought-out nutrition and dietary program? Um, A well-thought-out nutrition and dietary program, for the most part, for most people, should have a person in a caloric deficit that allows them to lose anywhere to a half pound to a pound a week for women. And for men, I would say you could take that up to two pounds just because of the size of the body and metabolic requirements. Anything where you're losing in excess of that, unless under the guidelines of a very, very astute system and a lot of experience, I would say could potentially be dangerous and, and activate, engage these biological mechanisms that would lead to uh, such a disruption in your hormonal access that you have a hard time coming back with it unless you have very specific expertise. And so a big caveat to people, if you're going to lose weight and keep it off, you better hire a really qualified professional, not the person in the gym that's the most ripped, not the person in the gym that has the biggest biceps or the, the you know the best uh, you know cover of. You I think know. girls now are looking at Instagram. Well, that's it. It's like girls on Instagram. They're like the girl on Instagram that's like whatever. I think that's how people are qualifying it. Correct. I could be wrong, but I feel like that's how. That's exactly what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. The quick fixes too. You mentioned hormones. I'm curious, like what role that has played in your life or have you just learned about that in not only when you were bodybuilding, but coming out of it and just kind of making sure that your body is coming back to balance? It's an ongoing conversation as you go through the different seasons of your life. Um, I think we have a a crisis in testosterone, particularly related to men right now. So Mm. the average 30-year-old man has the testosterone levels of a 70-year-old man in the 70s. And there's a great book called The Disappearing Male, uh, or excuse me, it's a documentary. It's a CBC government-sponsored, I believe, documentary where it talks about the proliferation of xenoestrogens 
And with the use of plastics and microwaves and all these things that are these chemical agents and all the chemicals and stuff, and it's disrupting um, or allowing a a high levels of estrogen. I'm just, this is just one example. Okay. So I'm going to go into this one in depth because I think it's one of the ones that are most relevant. It's one thing as an adult to have higher levels of estrogen. So let's say I'm an adult male and I've got 30% higher estrogens because of externalized xenoestrogens that are now proliferating through my blood for whatever reason, just living in the modern world. One thing. However, when you extrapolate that over a woman who's pregnant with a developing fetus, all of a sudden that that embryo might be subjected to 10,000 times the level of estrogen that would normally happen. And that has developmental impact on the species. And so what's happening on every single species of the planet is we are developing estrogenized animals, inability to procreate, low testosterone levels, and high levels of estrogen. And I believe that this may be contributing to some of the conversations that are around gender right Mm -hmm. now, is that people aren't kind of deviated in their natural hormonal profile. And that's not a judgment against Mm -hmm. them. I don't care what anybody identifies Mm -hmm. with. I'm just looking at the biological science that's happening and the unintended consequences of technological innovation. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm using that as an extreme example for people to listen to because that may impact their life. They need to get this in order, especially if you're just going to have children. Figure this out now before you end up into problems later because at that developmental level, it's huge. But when we're talking about the, the average female today who is in her 20s, or 30 or, or 30 and she wants to look good she wants to have a family or she wants to continue with her career but she's noticing that she seems to not be able to manage her weight very well or she has trouble uh, with a variety of areas that are associated with a disruptive amount of hormones and, and it can have, affect everything from your moods your brain chemistry like it's these are very very powerful agents inside your body so all of a sudden you when you enter into the fitness world, you have to start, you start paying attention to these things much earlier. And that's the advantage of it. The disadvantage is, is oftentimes people will take becoming an endocrinologist in their own hands and they start using externalized forms of hormone replacement therapy, either under the guise of a a medical professional or most likely the person who won the last contest in their local Contest I said, well, you know what? I just used some of the Cytomel stuff and I just lost all this weight and it was great and I had no problems. Oh, I forgot to tell you, a little bit of my hair fell out and, mm. you know, <laughs> we didn't tell You're like, you about I that. can't have kids anymore. It's fine. Mm. C- correct. Correct. And it's a very serious issue that I think there's so much external pressure from social media that people start to make short-term decisions and they don't really comprehend the long-term consequences of that decision. Yeah. The xenoestrogens too. I I know that there's also high levels of like birth control and water, not high levels. That's actually very, 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 very low levels, but it's like over time because so many women are on birth control all the time that it's becoming harder and harder to filter those hormones out of our water. So everyone's water has very small amounts of birth control. And so when men are taking it, it's messing with their hormone levels as well. Sorry. How does the birth control get in the water? From our pee. From the pee. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So Got from it. our pee. So when it's cycled through our body over years and years, we have like low levels of birth control that we're urinating out. Yeah. Okay. That's what I've heard. Well, it's absolutely true because mm-hmm. most people that are living in a city, 
don't recognize that how much of our water is actually recycled and reconditioned. Mm -hmm. And with a lot of these medical drugs, they have a very small molecular size and they'll get past all the filtration components because that's not their filter. They're fielding for big particles. They're filtering for, right. uh, you know, various types of bacteria that could make you sick, but they're not looking at the drugs that may be present in the water. So a place like here in LA, you need to have pre-filtration on all your showers, all, all your equipment. You should be drinking uh, highly. Like I have a- Yeah, a I wanted double, to ask what you use. I have a double filtration system. So I have a very sophisticated filtration system that goes into my drinking water. And then on top of that, I have a water ionizer on top of that. So I've got mm -hmm. two different filter devices preemptive before I drink the water. And then I've got uh, filters that eliminate all the chemical agents out of my showers and stuff. But I know that I'm still getting exposed to a certain amount. So I regularly test uh, my, my hormone levels and I watch the impact of stress and stuff. And I can tell you, um, a mm -hmm. couple of years ago, when I was really burning myself out as a serial entrepreneur, working 12 to 15 hours a day, uh, literally seven days a week, and I did that for two years, uh, the high amounts of cortisol in my body crashed my testosterone. Those, my testosterones went through the roof. It was suggested that I go on- And that on, can happen for women as well. Yeah, same thing. Yeah. So it, I was, it was suggested to me that I go on uh, testosterone replacement therapy. And there was an incredible amount of pressure. Now, keep in mind, I've got a ton of friends at, who are in their late 20s and early 30s who are internet marketing guys. They're all on testosterone replacement therapy right now, today. It's the un. It is a lot what of dudes is, do it. It's like Joe un, Rogan. Like it's a the lot untold of dudes do it. story that's happening. Yeah. Is it? Are people taking it when they don't need it? Like, what is the benefit? No, they, they actually it's, have it, such low testosterone okay. levels that an endocrinologist says we need to Got bring it. that up, and they just randomly progress it. Now, I think twenty blue, years blue ago, blue light can also affect your testosterone levels. Blue light. Well, that's the thing. So, staring in front of a computer yes. at nighttime oh alters your hormonal cycle. It doesn't yeah. reset your circadian rhythm, which all biological organisms are built on a 24-hour solar clock. And that triggers the rise in cortisol, mm -hmm. testosterone, estrogen levels for men and for women. And we have a lot of people who are spending a lot of time on blue lights, front of television, stuff like that. So what it's doing for men is it's crashing. It's raising up their cortisol levels so they're not following the natural cycle. It, then that suppresses their testosterone levels over time, then they're subjected to xenoestrogens. So their estrogen to testosterone ratio is, is just wow. crashed. And all of a sudden they have erectile dysfunction. They start to put on body fat. They're getting cellulite in their teenage years and stuff. And then they got all these body images and you know, men are now seen more as a physical objects now than, than they were say 20, 25 years ago. And so now they see the guy that's you know, making a million dollars a year and they're driving a sports car and they're ripped to shreds and they're on the, the, the social media. Literally do not care. Yeah, and, do not and, care. Literally no. my health. <laughs> but a lot of girls like it. And, and that's <laughs> the standard that mm -hmm. they're compared to, right? Mm -hmm. And that they feel that they need to go to. And it's the same thing for women. So women are now subjected to high levels of cortisol and anxiety. They're using stimulants to kind of keep going. They're trying to stay on a restrictive eating program, which is altering their mechanical. They may be adding chemicals in order to do that on top of it. Plus they're piling on all these estrogen levels. And now you added the birth control. And here's the facts. The facts of the matter is, is the birth control pill, which is we've only had this since the 1960s, widespread use. So we're literally what three, four generations into what that means. So women, women today are the, f 
the, the, the third generation or fourth generation, depending where you're at, of the first of any species on this planet in billions of years that a female could control her birth cycle. It might take us a hundred, it might take us a thousand uh, generations to figure out the complete impact of that hormonally, mm-hmm. socially, everything. And so we don't know what to do with it. Our family unit is altered significantly. Women are having children later than they did before. They're now in the workforce that they weren't to the same extent. The independence and relationships or the how the structure and, it, and it's it's everybody's got their theory it's the power hierarchy it's it's toxic masculinity it's feminism it's all these different everybody's got their kind of slant on it but from the biological standpoint is here's the facts folks we've radically altered the hormone components we don't know what that is like generationally we don't know what that is socially we don't know, know what that does psychologically and emotionally and all that sort of stuff but we're starting to we're starting to see that and it's trending in the direction that we're like, uh, we really, we, we, we didn't really think this one through very well. And I'm not saying that women shouldn't take, shouldn't have control or shouldn't have opportunities. I think that's a great thing. I think that's awesome. But we don't, we didn't really think out the repercussions of what that might entail. And unfortunately, what's happening is we're entering in, particularly here, we're seeing a lot of women who are entering into their late 30s who want to now have children because unfortunately men can't have kids. Like women are the creators of everything. That's true. (laughs) Women are the master creators on this planet, you know? And the reality is, is eggs are expensive and sperm is cheap Mm -hmm. from a Mm -hmm. biological standpoint. Mm -hmm. And when you get into your thirties and with these compromised hormones and stuff like that, and you want to have a family, you want to have kids all of a sudden it may become more difficult or you might start selecting partners that are not maybe your ideal partner, but it's better than not having it. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. And so it's, I mean, we're just still trying to unplug the consequences of it. And I'm not for or against anything of about course. that. I'm just like, how we figure this out? Yeah. Huh? yeah. Well, it's even interesting just to, and we've talked about this on the show, but like when I was put on birth control um, at like 18, but there was never like education or conversation around, you know, the, you know, the, the physical side effects, the emotional side effects, just like all of it. It was just like, this is what you do when you either start to have sex or you want to clear your skin. There was never a conversation so that, you know, granted, I don't think I would be making like an educated decision as an 18 year old, (laughs) but you know, it would have been nice to know that Mm -hmm. like some of those, effects were happening. So I'm like, okay, so I'm, I'm feeling a little like crazy and emotional. Like, you know, I, yes. I just think it would have definitely helped. It's a serious drug. It is a very serious drug. Like I got drug. on it when I was 14. It's a serious drug. Like I wish I would have known or had education or support. And yes. I'm, I'm grateful that there, there is the conversation we've, we've really started a lot of the conversation in our community about birth control and hormones, you know, a couple of years ago. And it's been powerful. And I'm hopeful that people that are younger can know their options. Well, this is the beauty of podcasting to get that mm-hmm. information out because you're able to have a conversation here that that young adult might not be able to have with their parents or their guardians yeah. or the people that they trust or with their friends in a way that's really, like you said, it's, it's curated, it's well thought out. And here's an interesting, I'll give a comparison analysis. I don't think there's too many people 
in the country right now that would think, hey, it's a great idea to give uh, a, a tablet of Diana Ball to a 14-year-old boy so that he can be more muscular. Mm-hmm. But it's a great idea to give the equivalent from an estrogen dominant drug. That's something mm. that disrupts a woman's hormonal cycle. Every bit as much as that tablet of steroids would do for a male to a woman because that's going to allow her to have safe sex. Well, is that sex really safe now if it's got consequences metabolically that you can't possibly imagine four or five years down the road? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, yeah. it's not. Yeah. And that's a disservice to females. And as if I, I think the sooner that parents start having conversations with the endocrinologist, with their medical doctor, and with their children about these issues, the sooner it is. And it goes back to hard conversations. Have the hard conversation. Be uncomfortable with your kids. Your kids are going to have sex. Your kids are going to take drugs. Your kids are going to drink. Your kids are going to be faced with decisions to get in a car with someone they probably shouldn't. Plan for it. Develop a relationship with your kids. You can have those conversations with. And guess what? You will not deal with the same level of consequences down the road that you would have if you don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, completely agree. I wanted to say too, so um, I remember reading about the blue light and testosterone in Ben Greenfield's book. I forget his most recent book, but he talked a lot about how red light really helped him with testosterone. And red yeah. light was like incredibly helpful because blue light can decrease your testosterone and red light can increase it. So I've also, I use red light every day, red light therapy. And I think it helps even with like female testosterone increasing mm-hmm. it, which has been awesome. Yeah, and a whole, ver- well, it's it's kind of like a, a reset. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's a kind of a reset to the entire hormonal cascade. And people are more familiar with maybe estrogen and testosterone because they've been in the conversation for a lot longer. But there's a vast array of hormones that are reset on that circadian rhythm. And the idea is that for millions of years, we got up and we woke up with the light. We came out outdoors in the sunshine and the light shone on us. And that reset our hormonal cycle. We didn't have lights. We didn't have electricity. We didn't have EMFs. We didn't have all these things. So probably one of the foremost experts on that is a guy by the name of Dr. Jack Cruz. He's got a lot of informative stuff. Uh, If people want to dive into that, I think it's really good to examine because again, unintended consequences of technology. Yeah. I mean, yeah, literally. We need to have like online... Like now that everything's virtual, not that people need to be in front of the screen, but especially for men to know these things. I feel like women were kind of on the pulse of the biohacking this and then that, but I'm even thinking about the men in my life. I'm like, oh my God, if they knew that staring at the screen all day, being on their phone, doing this was disrupting their testosterone. Mm -hmm. Like I think they would 1000% think twice. Yes, 100%. Can can you do this (laughs) weight? Yeah. We got another issue that we got to talk about, and mm-hmm. that is the dopamine rewards uh, mechanisms that are built into our digital devices. So what is keeping us staring into the blue, the blue light is the dopamine component. And now, on top of that, you're going to add pornography. So now you're getting dopamine, blue light, and pornography, which, you know, masturbating to pornography for men has been shown to depress uh, testosterone levels and also make it more difficult to interact with women in the real world. And at the current rate that that's going, 
especially with younger people today, because you know what? You go to school and university or whatever, you get an education or you come out into the world and you're trying to work your way up. Well, if you look at uh, kids today versus um, say the baby boomers and their ability to earn an income and support a family and be that kind of quote unquote breadwinner, because we talked about this before we got on here, the, the laws of hypergamy and it's built into our systems that women tend to marry ac- across and up the spectrum and men tend to marry across and down the social s- structure. So here's a guy that's being compared to all these things in love. He doesn't feel like he's adequate. He doesn't feel like he can interact. He doesn't have the confidence to go up and approach a girl or start to have the natural development. And at 14 years old, he's watching hardcore porn as his system of what, how he's supposed to interact with females not on the natural discovery cycle or women are for the same then that they think that's the way it's supposed to be. And so you get this visual effect, this, you can look, but you can't touch you, you, you know, you, you can, you can't, you can't have all the sensory experiences that are involved in an intimate connection, sexual connection with someone. And you've got these video kind of things and these fantasy things and these biochemical reward systems that are now alterating the hormone cycle as well as brain chemistry. Uh, of those those males. So then when they get to a real arrangement, well, not only do they not know what to do to begin with, which is always an issue, but then now their version of what they're supposed to do is totally distorted and leaves, I think, a lot of people um, more emotionally devoid instead of emotionally connected and enriched from perhaps what is the greatest experience that humans can engage in. Yeah. Yeah. It's... That's a whole thing. I'm like, oh my gosh. That's like, yeah, it's like hard to even think about that and its effects because it's so, it affects so many people. And thinking about like young men, you know, it's like heartbreaking to think about. But then young women too get affected by it too because they don't really understand, you know, they're kind of, yeah. It's like an epidemic. Once again the unintended consequences Mm -hmm. of technological innovation. It's true. And the inability to have hard conversations. So Mm -hmm. when going back full circle, Mm -hmm. why do I feel it's a critical importance for me in the intimate field of people that I have in my life? Why a spiritual practice is so important because I need to have something greater than everything that's going on in the world, everything that's going on in my physiology, my emotions or my mental to contextualize the interaction as we try to figure out this horrifically complicated world. Our world is massively more complicated right Mm. now than it's ever been for humans. And we're all trying to figure this out. And I think the development and cultivation of empathy and compassion for other people, especially people in your sphere of influence, and then extending that beyond to the human family, I think is important for the survival of the species. Yeah. That was beautiful. Thank you for that. This was fun. Yeah, this was so fun. I appreciate you. I feel I'm like so we excited. went every which way and it felt really Yeah, it really felt good. amazing. Really good. I, my last question is, I love the mag breakthrough. What makes it so different? Like, why do you need all those parts of magnesium? Well, going back to when I crashed my... So it's funny. This story is so... You guys are so good. <laughs> So when I crashed my testosterone levels through doing what everybody else has done, you know, just burn till you, 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 you know, till you learn. <laughs> One of the things when we did my blood testing was that I had severely depressed magnesium levels because as you expose yourself to uh, EMF radiation uh, and as you raise your cortisol levels, 
um, what happens is you actually dump magnesium at a higher level and magnesium exists in a two to one ratio to calcium. And so people who can't seem to stop their thinking or have that high anxiety or, you know, they get, they get that looping that goes at night and they're, they're waking up in the morning with anxiety. They're waking up. Oftentimes what happens is this master mineral of magnesium is deficient because 80% of the population is deficient in just the RDA, which was developed like a million years ago and to offset like serious disease, but not at an optimal level. And so when I did my testing with my naturopathic doctor, he says, well, we need to really build up your magnesium. And the long story short, well, long story longer, let me take, I was correlated to a guy by the name, they call him the uh, strength sensei, Charles Poliquin, had used a variety of different magnesiums with his high performance athletes, gold medalists. He, had, he, he trained gold medalists in 27 different sports, I believe it was, as well as the who's who of the sports industry. And he talked about the different types of magnesium that impacted whether it was the nervous system, the brain, the, the muscle tissue, um, various metabolic and enzymatic reactions inside the body. And that light bulb went off because I had attended a conference with him speaking and he, he dropped so many gold nuggets on that. And I went back to that and I looked at the research that he had cited and went there and I was like, oh, wow, well, which magnesium do I need that's going to make this better? So, what I did is I just bought all of them and I ended up with a counter about the size of this table of all these different magnesiums. And my business partner, Matt Gallant, he did the same thing. And we literally started like, okay, how many of these magnesiums do I have to take before I get the runs going using back to orthomolecular nutrition? <laughs> yes. And what it is with the different types of magnesium, when it says magnesium aspartate or magnesium chelate or magnesium citrate or magnesium orotate, the, the second part of that is the is the agent that is bonded to the magnesium, which changes where it may be absorbed and utilized. So as we built out this flow chart, we started to figure out which ones you could kind of would do what. And, and uh, it was very expensive, very costly, and very pedestrian. But over the course of many months, we figured it out. And I, without, regardless of the magnesiums, I started to feel better. I started to notice I was calmer. I wasn't short with people. Uh, I felt my hormones kind of kicking back online. I was like, wow, this is really, really good. So I said, well, what if we put all these ones that we've allocated, uh, isolated as the best magnesiums out there and we put them into one single pill so we don't have to spend thousands of dollars on all these pills? And Matt and I said, hey, that's a great idea. You know, I think it's Tim Ferriss said, the best products are the, when you scratch your own itch. Because there was all these arguments, which magnesium was the better and all that sort of stuff. And everybody had their rules and their information and all that stuff. So we wanted to combine that. And so we went to our manufacturing team and our chemists and stuff. And they said, well, we can't do that. I'm like, well, why not? Well, those different size molecules don't flow through the flow regulators that come through, like the nozzles and stuff where they put this stuff in a capsule. It all gets gummed up and we can't produce it that way. And I'm like, and then they said, well, we can add chemical agents and maybe we can do it. I said, well, we don't do chemical agents at bioptimizers. And they're called excipients, which are, when you ever see those like silicone dioxide and magnesium, these are called flow rate regulators that allow the stuff to flow into the cap in a way that doesn't damage the cap. So you're getting a lot of binders and fillers just to make that stuff flow through the machines. We don't do that. We refuse to do that. And so we had to go on a wild goose chase to figure out the technology and the machines to actually put all these things into the cap. And then we got into the cap and the cap wouldn't hold together because of different sizes and the cap was breaking, stuff was leaking out. So we had to get special caps, special filtration, special manufacturing. We put us all together and finally turned this thing out and said, I don't know, we'll see how it goes. We liked it. We'll see if we can sell it. And then it just, things went wild when people started using it because we didn't, we knew that there was a level of deficiency. But when you start taking magnesium 
in what I call super physiological dosages. And that is anywhere from 1.5 grams a day up to as high as five grams a day in divided dosage. You wouldn't have to stay at five for very long, but sequentially moving up. Well, people start to say, I, now I sleep better. I don't have anxiety anymore. Uh, I don't have muscle twitching that I used to have. My hormones regulation, my cortisol levels drop, my hormones started. All these crazy things that we didn't anticipate started to happen. Uh, and I was like, oh, okay, great. Well, hey, have at it. And we actually, I think in six months, we sold out of that product five different times. We, we simply have just continually tried to upregulate it and the testimonials keep coming and everybody loves it and it's really wonderful and we remove all the risk for people if they want to try it. And they say, hey, look, if it doesn't, if you don't think this is the best magnesium you ever had, we just give you all your money back. So that's our philosophy at Bioptimizers. We have a belief that um, business as a spiritual path, in other words, your business shouldn't be concordant with your mission. That's why I give away the awesome health course to everybody to say, hey, look, it's not enough just to take a random supplement or whatever. We have a seven-step philosophy for people to allocate, to look through all these things that we kind of touched upon today and to build a model for them to look at their fitness, look at should they get water, look at through these things and air, water, exercise, and sunlight come before you deal with nutrition in my, in my system. That's why I give that away because how the heck is someone supposed to know this if you're not in this field? It took me 30 years to even come up with the model of how to look at things, let alone the information. And for most people, that's just, they don't have the time, the energy, or the resources in order to do that. So we just give that away for free. And Love it really that. helps it stick. You Correct. know, like learning and educating yourself. I just like, I have some like things that I've learned that are always in my mind, whether when I'm eating or working out or whatever, that just always sticks. So I think that's such an important um, piece of what you do at Biooptimizers and it's our favorite magnesium. We yeah, literally so like- good. I feel like we talk about magnesium ad nauseum, but it's it's true how powerful it is for yeah. sleep, for recovery, hormones, et cetera. It's just for anxiety, incredible. Yeah, for stress, especially during these times, it's so key. And I, I have to make a note, and I and because I know you have a large female audience, PMS and cramping, which is so devastating for so many women, especially young women is directly correlated with deficiencies in magnesium. Mm -hmm. And I have just a wealth of testimonials from young, vibrant women who have got their life back so they're not lying in the bathroom at their high mm -hmm. school or university in excruciating pain mm -hmm. because they, they've identified their magnesium. So you can go get some spectrocell testing if you want to go wow. to state-of-the-art. You can start trying with the magnesium. I would recommend that they check out our bucket theory of nutrition is one of the videos on the course. So I can explain how you dose up and go through that. And of course, reach out to our team. I literally answer every single question that Aww. comes our way and, and teach and train our customer support staff because I really care about people and I want them to feel their best and have a great life. Yeah, that's amazing. We love it the shows. mass enzymes. Mm -hmm. I liked the, um, what was I taking to? It was in the black Capex. Capex. I loved Capex. Yes. I like Gluten Guardian. Yeah, no. that's a great yes. one, right? I love Gluten Guardian. Yeah. yeah. Take four of those caps and before you crush yeah. the pizza or bread and beer. <laughs> exactly. whatever You're it is. feeling good, honestly. Exactly. Yeah. This Thank has you. been so much fun. Such a joy. Thank you so much for coming. I'm so glad you live here. And everyone knows almost 30 is the code for 10% off. We have all the links in our show notes for you. And thank you so much. This Thanks, has been Wade. awesome. We'll see you guys next time. Mm -hmm. Thank we you love very much. You. Bye. Bye. 
Thank you so much, Wade. Again, you can go to biooptimizers.com and you can use code ALMOST30 for their enzymes, for their magnesium, gluten guardian, which are some of our faves. Some of our faves. And thank you so much to our other sponsors for this episode, Brooklinen, Osea Malibu, Bombas, Hawthorne, and First Leaf. You can find all of the discount codes in our show notes as well as on almost30.com. Thanks for being you, y'all. Another good one. Thanks for being you. I hope you guys are doing well. And yeah, thanks for being here. Thanks for being a support to Lindsay and I. It means a lot. We love our community very, very much. Yeah. Have a beautiful day and we'll see you on the next one. Enjoy. See you soon. 